Welcome to the Southridge Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message is from the series, I Am Jesus. Sometimes life and truth collide. When that happens, how do we handle those moments? Through this series, we're learning that what Jesus says about himself changes what we see in ourselves and in our situations. So prepare your hearts and lives to hear a word from God today. Southridge Baptist Church, we are thrilled to have you. We're excited that you are here. Thank you so much for coming. And I got to say, you all look good. My goodness. Looks like a Gap ad in here or something. My goodness. You look nice or JCPenney's-ish, if wherever you shop, you know, Abercrombie, wherever you get your clothes. You guys look awesome this Easter. So thrilled to have you guys here. We're excited about this. My name is Micaiah Ermler. I'm the lead and founding pastor of Southridge Baptist Church. And we are only 12 weeks old. We're only 12 weeks old. You've hit us on our, if this is your first time, we are only three months old, so we're excited to have you here. We've only been meeting at the theater just for a little while, and we're thankful that you would come and excited that you are a part of this Easter service with us. We're going to be starting off a new series, and we're going to be looking at some statements that Jesus made that are crucial to our lives. He makes some profound statements. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus Christ is making statements, but there are seven statements that are the what we would call the I am statements of Jesus. We're not going to look at all seven, certainly this morning. Some of you are like, no, man, I got places to be. You can stay on time. You know, you got to go get some ham in a little bit. So you just keep it in time and uh, hopefully you don't mind. I like to preach and uh, I'm not a quiet preacher. So I hope you don't mind that. And if you're sleepy, I hope to keep you awake. Um, we, we, we're not a quiet church. So if something sounds good to you, you're okay to say a good, hearty, old-fashioned amen. You're okay to clap. You're okay to, I had one guy say, heck yeah. And I was like, right on. I'm okay with that. That's all right, you know. So uh, it's all right. Whatever moves you around here, okay. So uh, if you start doing laps, security will probably take you out. But, I mean, as long as you don't start running laps, you're good here. So we're excited. If something speaks to you. Don't feel like you have to be calm and quiet, okay? I'll get going, and you're free to, uh, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, to say a good hearty amen or so. Um, we are excited to be here. We're going to be looking at the first statement, the crucial statement that Jesus Christ made to kind of kick things off. But before we get there, sometimes, have you noticed that life and truth kind of collide? There's what's true based on the Word of God, and then there's life. And... God has these statements, and we know the Bible says these things, that I will, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, but you're sitting here this morning saying, then how come I feel so lonely? Life and truth collide. Jesus made several statements throughout the Bible, and uh, some of you are saying, okay, well, well, I know that he loves me, but how come I feel so, so, so just worthless? Life and truth collide. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, man, I know what the Bible says. I'm kind of familiar with Christianity, or maybe you're not familiar with it. And we hope that this will be a, a, a pastor of scripture that will speak to your heart. But I want you to understand something this morning, that sometimes we look at the scripture and sometimes life contradicts what we see in scripture. It's not that scripture is being contra- contradicted. It's that sometimes we just say, man, what's going on? What's happening? Last night, I got a phone call from somebody, a text message, and they said, this is the worst day of my life that came from not somebody who said yeah my facebook page crashed didn't come from somebody who said man my xbox live went down my cable bill's too expensive it's somebody who's already lost a wife it's somebody who already has gone through some deep trials and here last night just kind of pouring out his heart saying what else is going to happen 
I mean, I look at the word of God, but yet, and I had to tell him, sometimes life and truth, they collide. Because we're going to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. At the same time, he's on his way to a funeral. Something almost wrong with that picture. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus Christ, you're saying that that you are the resurrection. You're saying your life. But here's this funeral happening around you. What do you do about that? What do you do about your situation? And here we're going to look at John chapter number 11. And if you have a Bible, or you have an iPad or a phone, whatever you use to uh, look at the scriptures, uh, we're going to look at John chapter number 11 this morning. It'll be up on the screen, and uh, we're going to look at this. And I want to read a passage to get started. I'll do a little bit of hopping around in the Bible. I hope you don't mind. I like to use a lot of Bible. I like to go to a lot of passages, and we're going to get to several of them this morning. I'm so glad you're here. I forgot to welcome my in-laws are here i love my mom and my dad they're here you say how come you love them so much because i think i got a beautiful hot wife and if it wasn't for them i wouldn't have had her so i'm so thankful that they are here can we give them a round of applause thank you they are awesome folks they helped come early this morning and set things up and so they're wonderful people wonderful people hope you greet them and thank them they've been a huge blessing to my wife and i in so many ways well the bible says in john chapter number 11 i'm going to start in verse number 19 i'm going to give you a little background of the text Verse number one, it starts off where uh, Jesus Christ, he understands that a good friend of his has passed away in chapter 11. The Bible says a certain man was sick named Lazarus, and this sickness leads to his death. Jesus Christ is summoned while Lazarus is sick. Uh, Mary and Martha send a messenger, say, hey, go get Jesus. Jesus will heal Lazarus. Matter of fact, Mary and Martha tell this servant, this herald that's going to go get Jesus, tell Jesus the one you love is sick. He's very specific. It's not just Lazarus, your friend, your buddy. Hey, you guys play golf together. Hey, you guys uh, shot pool together. No, no, no. Hey, the one you love is sick. As if that'll help get him there. And here, Jesus Christ hears the message. And what does Jesus Christ do? For a couple days, he just kind of hangs out. Mary and Martha, they're freaking out. And Jesus is just kind of hanging out, just kind of taking his time. And then all of a sudden, after a couple days go by, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, hey, let's go. And uh, we're going to go and uh, Lazarus sleep it. And his disciples, not being too bright, said, well, if he sleeps, then uh, let him sleep. He'll get better. And Jesus said, no, this this sleep is the sleep of death. And then Jesus says something that just kind of blows my mind when I see it in verse number four. Um, let me read it. Here's what Jesus said. He said, when Jesus heard that he said this sickness is, not, is nigh unto death, it is for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. You see, here's, here's Jesus Christ. He, he can heal this person. He wants to heal this person, but he waits, and this person passes away. Now we're going to pick it up in verse number 19. The Bible says this, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother because Lazarus has died. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. You say, why didn't Mary get up? Mary said, it's over. Lazarus is dead. There's no reason to get up. Maybe some of you, it took a lot to get you here this morning. You're saying, you know what, inside my heart is just cold, it is dead. I'm not, I'm kind of done with church. I, I'm not really into that anymore. And maybe for you, you kind of felt like this. Like, I should just stay home. 
it's not really worth me getting up and going. And Mary, she just stayed in the house. She just stayed there. She said, it's kind of hopeless. And maybe that's how some of you feel this morning. I've got a message of hope for you this morning. Stay tuned. It's coming. Well, verse number 21, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection in the, in the day, in the last day. Jesus said unto her, here's our first statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Can we all say that together? One, two, three. I am the resurrection and the life. That was great. Can we say it one more time? I am the resurrection and the life. This is a powerful statement, but it doesn't really jive with what Martha is thinking right now. Martha's thinking, okay, um, yeah, Jesus, he is going to rise one day in heaven. I know he'll be there. I know he'll be alive. But what about today? What are you going to do for me today? I'm feeling lonely today. I'm discouraged today. I'm upset today. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm here. I can do something about it. It's not like I'm some doctor who's just kind of a practicing physician. No, no, no. I'm what they call the great physician. Hey, I've done this before. I've raised the dead to life. Haven't you heard the deaf can hear? Haven't you seen the blind can see now? Haven't you seen my miracles, what I've been doing? And here's Jesus saying, Martha, I'm here. It's okay. It's going to be all right because I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Verse 26, and whosoever, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? But here was Martha. She looked at Jesus and she said, Jesus, I know that you can do it. But she kind of threw her expectation off into the future. She was looking towards a future event that Jesus would work. Yeah, Lord, I know one day you'll work. And maybe that's some of you. I know God one day he'll fix my marriage. I know one day he'll take care of my job. I know one day he'll do it. There's that crowd. Maybe you fit in there. But there was another crowd. And they came to Jesus in verse 37 of the same passage. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Couldn't he have done it? Then there's this other group that said, Hey, if only you had been here, couldn't you have done something? They're throwing it off into the past. Some of you, you're saying, Man, my past is so messed up. He could have fixed it. And that's why I'm like this. You could have done something, but you didn't. And you're looking back at your past. And some of you, you're looking at the future like one day it'll get better. So you're stuck in between the past and the future. And Jesus comes right in the middle of it and says, I'm here now. I'm not just in the future. I'm not just in your past. I'm here in the present. Aren't you glad there's a God that says, I'm going to step into the present situation. I'm not going to wait till the past. I'm not going back to the past. I'm not going to wait till the future. I'll meet you in the present. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, I'm not going to defer this. This isn't going to wait. I'm taking care of this now. Matter of fact, he goes on to verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks. He has been dead four days. Don't take away the stone. Get some Lysol. Get some air freshener if you are. He's going to smell really bad. 
Here's Martha, still doesn't believe. Still doesn't believe that Jesus can step into the present situation and do anything about it. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. I'll be honest. I felt like that too. Lord, I know that you can do something. I have this great expectation of you. But the reality is, I'm not seeing it. And I'm in this expectation gap. And it's frustrating. Because I know you can, but I haven't seen you do it. And so I'm a little bit frustrated right now. Because I'm in limbo mode. And Lord, I'm waiting for you to do something. And Jesus is here to say, I'm going to step into the situation. First of all, I want you to see Jesus receive some unsolicited pushback. Here's Martha saying, all right, I know you can, but I'm going to push back on this because I got to see it. You see, because life and truth have collided for her. The Bible says that Jesus is the truth, the way. And here's life and truth have collided. And what do you do when it seems like your life and truth has collided? Because maybe you're kind of feeling like Martha, or maybe you're feeling, in a sense, kind of like this situation. And you may not be dead physically, but you know what? You might be dead in your doubts. Because here's Martha. She doubts. She doubts. She just doesn't know if God can, doesn't know if he cares, doesn't know if he's interested. And so you this morning, you may be thinking, I'm just dead in my doubts. Maybe you had high hopes. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you knew the Bible verses when you were a kid. Maybe you've seen the Easter story, the resurrection story played out. And then you went to college and some pipe smoking professor said, the first five books of the Bible are just a fairy tale. It's not real. It's just a hoax. It didn't happen. There's no way that Jonah could be swallowed by a whale. There's no way the children of Israel could walk across the dead sea or the red sea there's just no way it's all fake it's not real and man for your faith you begin to doubt maybe that's how you feel you know can i just take a quick survey how many of you have ever you'll be honest enough say yeah i've had my doubts and my hands up too and those of you that didn't well, excuse us while you shine your halo, because the rest of us, we live in the real world where we have had our faith shaken, where we have had our doubts, because there are moments you're going to doubt. Let's just be honest. Let's just face it, because life and truth, they're colliding, folks, and there's going to be moments when your faith is going to be tested. And don't think that once you, oh, man, I'm saved, and I got baptized, and I, I'm in church, and I'm tithed, and everything's going to be honky-dory. There are going to be times when your faith and your life, they're going to collide. And you're going to need to know what to do. And here, Martha, she was close to Jesus Christ. She knew him. But yet, even her, she still had some upsets. And here, she even said, hey, I feel dead in my doubts. And maybe that's the way you feel. I've learned in my own life that the constant companion of destiny is doubt. That there'll never be a time in my life where I just won't ever doubt. Every day of my life, I doubt. Man, all yesterday, I was PMSing pre-message syndrome in case you were wondering and i was going through all yesterday and man i was stressing out and i didn't know what to do and i was like and i tell people i nervous eat and it was like midnight and i'm like eating cereal and i'm like drinking stuff and i can't sleep because i'm just nervous about what's going to happen and 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 all these things going on and i had my doubts because anytime you're going to do anything for the lord you're going to have your doubts hey get this anytime you're going to do anything in your business you're saying hey we're going to expand this new area you're going to have your doubts anytime you say how i'm going to try to work on this relationship i haven't talked to this family member in a long time you're going to have your doubts of whether or not this is going to be reciprocated hey maybe there's a job or some relationship you need to restore you have your doubts whether it's going to turn out right so don't pretend like you're never going to doubt as a christian you will have your doubts there will be those times and maybe you're feeling dead in your doubts i don't want you to stop there or maybe you're feeling dead in your disappointment in verse 39 martha she said hey it's already over don't even move with the stone she said don't why roll it away you, you already messed up. It's over. 
it's done. Maybe you're feeling dead in your disappointments because you have this expectation of Jesus and he didn't come through for you and you feel disappointed and you feel like, forget it. It's not real. It's not worth it. Or maybe you're saying, hey, I'm dead in my defeat. My life has been defeated. I'm broken. It's over. And maybe you're thinking God only works in the past. Maybe you're looking at the Old Testament. You see these great miracles. You think, man, God, you could do some great stuff in the past, but that's the past. Do you still work in the future? And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. You know what that I am statement comes from? It comes from Exodus chapter number three. Moses, he's seen the burning bush and God speaks to him. And Moses is called to go tell the children of Israel, hey, we're getting up out of Egypt. And Moses says to the burning bush, to the Lord, actually. And he says, hey, who should I say sent me? And God tells Moses, say, I am that I am hath sent you. Because Moses was looking at who he was. He was looking at his abilities. And he's saying, it doesn't match up. I can't do it. I am so deficient. I am so weak. I am so dysfunctional. And God's saying, it's not about you. It's about me because I am the resurrection and the life. I am in the present. It's not something in the past or the future. It's right here, right now. God comes into the situation. Jesus steps into the situation and saying, I am the resurrection and the life. When he's saying I am, that means he's eternally existent. Nobody else created him. He is there. So you're saying, maybe I'm dead in my defeat. But also maybe you're dead in your dysfunction. You say, man, maybe God just doesn't love me enough. That's why he's not working in my situation. Maybe it's because I didn't go to church last week. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's because I didn't read my Bible enough. Life happens, folks. I'm tired of this Christianity where we think God is standing around the corner with a baseball bat ready to whack us, ready to pop our tire, hurt our kids. If we didn't give enough, if we didn't show up to the Easter egg hunt, if we didn't do this, we didn't shake the pastor's hand, if we didn't say this or we didn't have a big enough Bible on Sunday and God's just going to beat us over the head. I'm done with that. That's nowhere to be found. We don't need to worry about that. And some of us, that's the way we feel. This dysfunctional Christianity and we're not living out of faith and courage. We're living out of this fear that god is around the corner waiting to just kind of beat me but we need to see that god is so much more than that and maybe you're saying you know what? i'm just dead in my devotion i used to love god hot and fervently but i just feel dead in that okay who sat at jesus feet drinking it in learning everything she could from him mary where's she now at home She's the one that, uh, that, that was so close to Jesus, wanted to learn everything she could. If anybody was devoted, it was Mary. Matter of fact, Jesus even said, Mary chose the best part, not to necessarily serve, but to sit at my feet and to learn. She was devoted to him, but Mary is dead in her devotion. And maybe that's the way you feel this morning. You're saying, you know what, I just barely made it. I know it's Easter, and I know Grandmama is going to want to make sure I was here, and my mom's going to want to make sure I was here. So I showed up. Just be glad. And I am glad. I really am. Thank you for coming. But I don't want it to just be that. I don't want it to just be for your grandma. I don't want it to just be for somebody else. I want you to see your devotion once again come back alive. I want to see Jesus Christ come back into your life and do some work. Because at this church, we believe that God does extraordinary things through our ordinary obedience. Because some of you, you're thinking, I got to go slay a giant. I got to give a million dollars. I got to go to Africa. No, God does extraordinary things through our ordinary obedience. And God said, hey, somebody move that stone away. Somebody move it. 
because I'm about to do something. And maybe this morning, that's the way you feel. You say, no, there's a stone in my heart. And God, I just feel like it's so big. It's so big. How can you deal with it? And we're going to deal with it. I've set the stage now. We've kind of got some characters. But now we need to go a little bit further because we brought up some questions. But how do we deal with it? You need to turn your Bible to the book of Luke, if you would. Luke chapter 24. It's a sad passage of scripture. This is where we see the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is where we see mankind at its worst. As they beat him, as they put a crown of thorns on him. And I can't accurately describe how bad it was. I watched the Passion of the Christ this last week just to kind of get a visual picture of it. But even that doesn't quite do it justice. We know it was horrific. We know it was terrible. Matter of fact, our word excruciating comes from that word of the crucifixion. They had to make a word to adequately describe the pain that you endure going on this cross. And that's where we get our word excruciating because that's the amount of pain that Jesus felt on the cross. It was excruciating. He hung there for six hours. I was watching the interview of uh, the character who played Jesus in the Passion. And he said, you know, um, at that point, people asked me about all the makeup that was on because my body looked so black and blue and swollen. He said, actually, there was no makeup. I really was black and blue and swollen. He said both lungs had double pneumonia. My shoulder kept popping out of joint because they would drop the cross and they would keep uh, popping it out of joint. He said, you know what? I didn't know if I was going to live. The doctor pulled him down and told Mel Gibson, the director, and said he could die. And Mel said, let's shoot it. This will be even better, the real thing. It's like, man, I wouldn't want to work for a guy like that. But they got this picture of the pain. And even that pain, as I was watching the interview, he said, the whole time what I was thinking was, is this is nothing compared to what he did. Because I got special effects makeup. I got ropes tying my hands. No nail is really going through my hands. This crown of thorns, it's plastic prosthesis. It's just fake. It's not really there. The the nail in my feet, that's not real. It's just makeup. It's just rubber. It's not real. The pain that I feel is nothing, even though I can hardly breathe, even though my shoulder's popping out of joint, even though I've got pneumonia. He said, you know, it was nothing to what he felt. When man was at his worst, God was at his best. That's what we call grace, folks. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not that you deserved it, not that I deserved it. Because honestly, who are we kidding? We walked in here with our nice clothes, walked in here with our Bible, walked in saying, howdy, brother. He is risen. Praise God. It's a great day. But who are we kidding? We're nothing. Really. Honestly. Nice clothes. What? We're nothing. That God would look down. Get this. We think God, we pray that God, oh man, I want to do my best for you. You know, honestly, God's expectation is actually our God's expectation of us is us at our worst. That's kind of his expectation because we're going to disappoint him far more than we're going to than we're going to please him. Let's just be honest human nature we're gonna mess up folks i'm gonna mess up but god says i still love you my grace is still sufficient i will still send my son to die for you i still love you even though you may mess up even though you're gonna disappoint me even though you're gonna do things that i'm gonna be ashamed of god says i'm still gonna send my son because you are valuable to me because i love you and i see in this passage of luke jesus stage is the ultimate comeback And some of you say, 
hey, I see that coming a mile away. That's no surprise, no spoiler alert there. I know he's coming back. I know the end, I've seen it. But here's what I love about this passage of scripture. And we have to go to it, verse number one. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. You know, this time, the Bible says the first day of the week, this is Sunday after the Sabbath. Very early, it's between 2 and 6 a.m. Basically, it's that kill yourself in the morning time. I am not a morning person. To get up in the morning, man, it is rough. When I was in college in the dorm room, anybody that was up and they were noisy, man, I wanted to slit their throat and watch them bleed out in the morning, man. I'm just a grumpy person. I don't like those people that are singing and they're laughing and they're telling jokes and life is good. I just want to tell them, shut up, just let me sleep. You know, they're like, it's 10 a.m. I know, give me another hour, you know. And it's just, I'm not a morning person. How many of you, you are not a morning person. I knew I felt some kindred spirits in here, amen. The rest of you you don't know don't act like you're so good all right you just don't understand all right but here very early in the morning between 2 and 6 a.m basically it's it's too early or it's too late to go back to bed but it's too early to really do anything productive so it's just right in the middle of your day it's not cool not fun and here they come to the tomb and in mark's account these ladies as they're coming to the tomb they ask a question who will roll away the stone? You know, if it would have been a bunch of guys, we wouldn't have thought about that. Only ladies would have been planning ahead. Like, hey, who's going to take care of the stone? Guys, we just get there and we show up and then we figure out what to do, okay? So give it up for the ladies here. I mean, they had some planning. They were thinking about it. And so they get to the situation. And the Bible says it's the first day of the week. But can we go back for a second? Jesus came on Palm Sunday, which was last Sunday. He came to Jerusalem and that started the Passion Week. He was, he took communion with his disciples. He was taken in the garden of Gethsemane. He was lifted up. They crucified him for three days and three nights. He's in a borrowed tomb. You say, why is it a borrowed tomb? Because he knew better. He knew he wasn't going to be staying. So why buy it? So he borrowed it. And so he's in the tomb. Saturday comes. He's dead. Sabbath ends at five o'clock Saturday night. The new day starts that next day, Sunday, very early in the morning. So if you count it, From Sunday to Saturday, there's seven days. Seven, that's the number of completion. Six is the number of man. Eight, throughout the Bible. Do you know what eight stands for? New beginnings. Isn't that something? You say, that's a cool coincidence. Uh, No, it's not. He planned that. He said, the eighth day, it's a new beginning. It's the eighth day. I'm coming out. I'm going to start something new. I'm going to do something new in this world because I am the resurrection and the life. Hey, you're here and it's the eighth day. It's that eighth day and it's a new beginning. And maybe that's what you came to church. You just say, I just need a fresh start. I just need a new beginning. I just need the slate cleaned. I just need it washed away. I just need to start all over. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He said, hey, I'm going to give you a new beginning, a fresh start. Because when Jesus 
Christ, when he hung on the cross, and when he died, and when he came up, he made change possible. You see, what do you mean he made change possible? You see, you and I, we're not good people. There's no way we can change us. There's not a 12-step program. There's not a self-help book. Hey, Dr. Phil and Oprah, the co-pastor, they are not good enough to fix all our problems because we are too jacked up, folks. We can dress it up. We can paint it up. But we're messed up, folks, and we need something better than 10 minutes with Dr. Phil. I'll tell you what, he may seem real good, but it doesn't cut it. We need something better than that. And Jesus said, I come to make all things new. I come to change you. I will do that work. I can do it. He came to make change possible. Romans 6, 4 says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. God wants to give you life, folks. That's why he came, to make change possible, not only to make change possible, but to make sin forgivable. Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are by the, by the God law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Throughout the Old Testament, you see this picture of the shedding of bulls and goats. You see the shedding of blood, and you say, that's violent. PDA, uh, PETA needs to get in there, and uh, they need to deal with that situation. And where are they at? And it's a picture leading up to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God, and he was slain. In Revelation, we see once again, the Bible says, the Lamb of God. It's a picture that's pointing back to Jesus Christ, and it's pointing to him, and he makes our sin forgivable. Hey, we're not good enough to get rid of our own sin. We needed somebody else. We needed a mediator. We needed Jesus Christ to go and intercede for us we needed his help he came he died to make our sin forgivable also he died to make heaven attainable there's no way we can make it there was no way we could ever cross that deep chasm there was no way we could work our way there because we're not good enough folks think about our lives dr phil's got a great quote he'll say how's that working out for you how's it working out for you you know, if you were to try to work your way to heaven, I would ask you the same thing. How's that working for you? Not too good. It's not going to work out. I don't care how hard you try. My wife is from the Philippines, and she'll tell me in the Philippines, there will be people who will literally crucify themselves to try to atone for their sins. There will be people with whips beating themselves bloody and raw to try and get forgiveness. But they don't need to because there was a high priest who died for us. His name is Jesus Christ to make heaven attainable. And if you this morning, you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ, your Lord, your Savior, make that today because he died to make change possible, sin forgivable, and heaven attainable. That's what he wants for you. It's why we planned all this, because we want so much more for you. It's not just about, hey, we want to come, sing some songs, praise Jesus, and hear a good little message. No, it's we care more about your eternal existence than we do your physical existence. We want you to know that one day you can spend eternity with Jesus Christ, to have the fellowship restored, that which was broken to be restored. We want that new covenant to come, and we want that to happen in your life. The Bible says he makes heaven attainable. John 14, 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, where I am, there ye may be also. Where he is, he wants you there. And you say, well, this morning there's a stone in the way. Lazarus had to have his stone removed. Jesus removed his own stone. Because why? Because our God is unstoppable. And when you're unstoppable, there's nothing that's impossible. Lazarus had to be freed by others. Jesus was able of his own will and his own volition to free himself. 
But I want you to see this isn't the end of the story, folks. You see, Jesus stays the ultimate comeback. But Jesus unashamedly wants to bring you back. Get this, after the resurrection, after Jesus died, and even after he rose again, after the ladies came to the, the tomb, they saw him resurrected. They run back to tell everybody else in verse 11. The Bible says, and their words sing to them as idle tales, and they believed him not. They didn't believe. Here, they're still dead in their doubt. They didn't believe that Jesus Christ got up out of the tomb. They didn't believe that he broke forth. They didn't believe that it happened. And there are some people this morning, they still don't believe. They don't believe that Jesus Christ died. He rose again for them. And they don't believe it. But this morning, we see this passage, they didn't believe either. But Jesus, even though we may have our doubts, he still wants to bring us back. You say, why? Because in verse number 13, there's almost a humorous humorous passage of Scripture. The Bible says, and behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was away from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, eight miles away. So here's this village, there's two disciples, and they're going to leave, and they're going to go, and they're going to leave Jerusalem. Because why? They, They didn't believe. But here's what's amazing. I flip the page, and I see that Jesus shows up with them on the road, on this road to Emmaus. Here comes Jesus. But they don't know it's Jesus. You can have a lot of fun with somebody that you know and they don't recognize you. I'm telling you what, this is wide open for some great pranks. This is awesome. Ever done a prank call? I'm telling you what, you call somebody that you know, they don't know it's you. Now because of caller ID, it's kind of dead, doesn't really work so well. And they just call the cops on you and it's no fun. But it used to be a lot more fun. Nowadays it's not so much fun. But back then, this is like the original prank call but it's jesus okay some of you say you're making light of jesus hey you know what the bible's not boring we just get boring we got to look at the bible and see the humor in it sometimes jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were holding that they should not know him and he said unto them unto them what manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as you walk and are sad and the one of them whose name was cleopas that's why he said his mom named him cleopas i would be sad too Answered, said unto them, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? He's playing dumb. This is Jesus. Of course he knows what happened. What things? Come on. Jesus was there, but they're not seeing him. They're away from him. Why? They're dead in their unbelief, folks. They had known him. They had followed him. But now, get this, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're going back. But get this. Even when you were headed the wrong direction, Jesus still meets you on that road, doesn't he? He meets these disciples. He says, I'm not just going to let you guys keep going. You're headed to Emmaus, eight miles away from Jerusalem. It says from Jerusalem, from Jesus Christ, where he said to meet them. They're headed away from him. They're dead in their doubts, and they're leaving. They're headed the wrong direction. And yet Jesus Christ said, even though you're headed the wrong direction, even though you're dead in your doubts, even though you're going away from me, I will meet you where you're at. That's a great God. That's a loving God. That's a God who says, I don't care where you're at in your situation. I will meet you right there, and I will restore your faith. I will help you, and I will bring you back watch what jesus does in this passage he talks to them and they're still discouraged matter of fact they even say you don't know jesus jesus did miracles we thought he was somebody great but then the pharisees they took him and they delivered up and him up and he was crucified and he died and now 
we're on the road to Emmaus. And maybe that's how you feel. You feel like my hope is gone. I just barely made it to church. I'm just doing this for the wife. I'm just doing this for the husband. I'm just doing this for somebody else. But I don't believe it. I'm not into this kind of stuff. And I'm telling you what, Jesus Christ wants to meet you right where you're at. And he wants to bring you back to where you ought to be and where you should be. Because he unashamedly wants to bring you back. He wants to come because why? He has come to give you life. That's what he wants to do. You see, Jesus wants to bring you back. But my question is, what's holding you back? There's something holding you back. Is it a relationship? Is it something in your past you can't let go of? Is it something you're angry against God about? Is it something you're angry against somebody else? Is it because of a Christian hypocrite, maybe? Why? That's holding you back? I got news for you. Every Christian you've ever met is a hypocrite. Because we are fallen creatures. We mess up. Hey, if I haven't offended you yet, guess what? I will. It's going to happen. Brace yourself, brother, sister. It's going to happen. Because if you're looking at some Christian as your Messiah, it's not going to work. We look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We don't look to some man. Yes, we look to the word of God that is preached and proclaimed. But we're not looking at some other Christian. We're not looking at somebody else. We're looking at Jesus Christ. So what is holding you back from coming back? What this morning needs to be dealt with? What needs to be broken in your heart so that Jesus Christ can speak to you? Because some of you, you're sitting here, and it's kind of like this, your posture. And I'm telling you what, when your posture's like this, it just kind of gets me going. And guess what? I haven't had any caffeine. This is all me, man. I'm coming at you strong. I'm telling you what, some of you, you want to sit like this? I'll really get going. I'll start climbing the pews because I'll tell pews, the theater seats. I don't care. I'm telling you what, when you are in the way where Jesus wants to bring you back, there should be nothing holding you back. Jesus Christ says, I want to bring you back because I've got so much more for you. I've got life. You think the world's got life. You go ahead and try it. You'll be disappointed, friend. You'll be discouraged. You'll say, man, I thought that career was the right career. Didn't work out. Man, I thought those friends were were all there. But as soon as something happened, they left me high and dry. I worked for a boss who was a full-blown alcoholic. And he would call me in the middle of the night and said, hey, they just dropped me off in some city. Can you pick me up? They took my truck. I don't have my wallet. I can't can't do anything. I can't call a cab. Can you pick me up? He said, hey, who left you here? My friends. Some great friends they are. It's the middle of the desert, Palmdale. And they just left you here? Man, this is not right. You need to find some different friends. And some of you, you're so loyal to those friends. Some of you, you're so loyal to those relationships. When they're just holding you back from going to where you need to be. Or maybe there's something in your heart. You're just like, oh, I can't get rid of this. I can't let this go. It's got a hold of you. And Jesus Christ is saying, hey, I'm come to meet you on the eight-mile road. I'm come to bring you back. And I want to show you how Jesus Christ is going to bring these people back because they don't recognize him they think this is some dude this is some guy who's totally ignorant doesn't know what's going on just dropped off the moon somewhere they have no idea that this is jesus christ because he's playing dumb with them and all of a sudden jesus christ he comes on this road and get this the bible even says and the beginning at moses in verse number uh 27 the bible says that jesus christ he even starts telling them the scriptures here's what's funny john 1 1 says this in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god so jesus christ not only there physically but then he starts even telling about himself. It's kind of a mind trip if you think about it. And all of a sudden, they keep on going. And Jesus Christ is telling the scriptures. He's telling about what's happening. But they still don't know it's Jesus until Jesus does something. Notice, if you would, verse number 28. The Bible says, the night drew nigh. In verse number 28. And they compelled Jesus to come into the house, so Jesus does. Verse 29. 
But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went into the tent to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened. And their eyes were opened. And they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us as he spoke? What happened? You say, yeah, they're good Christians. Food, woke them up, they knew it was Jesus. Yeah, all about the food. Hey, dude, get some food in here. We'll wake up. No, 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 it's not what, it, not what happened. Go back, go back at the verse. It says, he blessed it, he break it, and he gave it to them. He blessed it, he break it, he gave it. He blessed it, he break it, he gave it. What's that a picture of? He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Remember communion? This is my blood which is shed for you. He said, you guys just don't get it, do you? I've showed you the Bible, you're not getting it. I've showed you myself, you don't get it. So let me give you an illustration. Last one, he took some bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he gave it to them. And all of a sudden they said, it's Jesus. You know why? Because they said, the picture of brokenness. I can relate to brokenness. We all can relate to brokenness. All of us have something that's broken. All of us have had a time where we've hurt. All of us have a time when something in our life just fell apart. And we know that God blessed it, but he still broke it. And all of a sudden they said, wait a minute. This is Jesus. This is him. Because when Jesus comes into your life, he makes suffering understandable. He does. Because life and truth are going to collide, folks. They're going to collide. But when you have Jesus in your life, he makes suffering understandable. Because they saw it. They saw that, wait a minute, he knows what it's like to be broken. He knows what it's like as... We're just trying to get out of Jerusalem because we don't know what's going to happen to Jesus' followers. We don't know if they're going to be crucified. We don't know if they're going to be tortured, thrown in jail. We don't know what's going to happen to them. So, so we're leaving. But I love this. Verse 33. Fin- get this. They didn't even finish dinner. They didn't spend the night. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They said, he can relate. He knows what I'm going through. He is the resurrection and the life. He understands what life is all about. I'm going back to Jerusalem. There's nothing that's going to hold me back. I'm going back. Understand this morning, if it's your pain, it's something in your past that's holding you back, understand that God says, I relate. My son died. My son bled. My son hurt. And you can understand that pain, it is going to happen in the Christian life. But Jesus Christ says, hey, I'm not a God that can't be touched with your infirmities. I am a God that understands. I'm a God that can understand it and, and realize what you're going through, understands that suffering. And they went back. And I love this last part. When you have Jesus Christ, he makes God visible. They didn't see him. Maybe this morning, you're not seeing him. I'm telling you what, Jesus, make God visible to you. Because I'm in a situation, and I need, I need God to be visible. I need to see what God wants. I need to see him, Isaiah 6, high and lifted up. I need to see God in my situation. I need to see God in my family. I need to see God in my heart. Jesus makes him visible, folks. So where are you at this morning? far from him on the road to Emmaus 
Jesus wants to save you. He wants to change you. You say, I am saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. But maybe you're saying, I'm on that road to Emmaus. It's eight miles, and I'm at seven and a half miles on that road. I'm seven and a half miles. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm almost close to eight. I'm about 100 yards from eight miles. Can Jesus still meet me there? He'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. Hey, folks, they made it to Emmaus. Eight miles, they made it. So they made it to a house. They stayed there. So Jesus said, I'm going to go all the way with you. And some of you think, no, Jesus left me a long time ago. No, no, he was there the whole time. He was there the whole time. As you said, hey, I'm going to party. As you said, I'm going to live the way I want to live. As I do what I want to do, Jesus said, I'm still here. Whenever you want to go back, let's go back. And if that's you this morning, we want you to come back. I'm going to call the piano to the piano. And as we do, the pianist will be just a few more minutes. It's all right. Any volunteers in the house? No, just kidding. You don't want to hear me play. As we see this morning, Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. I've come to give you life. I've come for you. If you've never made that decision this morning to trust Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, this morning, would you make that decision? This morning, would you not leave this place without saying, I give my heart and soul back to Jesus Christ. There's nothing that's going to stand in the way. I'm totally just giving myself to Jesus. God, whatever, whatever you want. We'll wait for the piano, but let's all stand and let's all have our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we stand. And I'm going to switch mics, Chris. And maybe you're just thinking, man, I I need something this morning. And I'm not going to have you come forward. We're not going to point you out. We're not going to do anything like that. But if you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm not where I ought to be. I'm safe, but I'm not where I ought to be. I want to get right. I want to get back to the Lord. That's what this time is going to be all about. But maybe there's another group of you, and you're saying, you know what? I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, but I'm not going to wait another day. I'm not just going to put this off till next Sunday. This is Easter. This is a special day. It's the day of new beginnings, folks. Could this be your new beginnings? Would you make the decision that today I want to receive him? So I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to point you out. But I'm going to lead you in a sinner's prayer. What we call it. There's no magic words in the prayer. It's not the magic about the prayer. It's all about the heart. And I'm going to pray as the piano's playing. And if you'll pray that prayer with me and receive him. You don't have to pray it out loud. I'll lead you in it. But I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer. It goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm lost. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm so jacked up. I don't got so many problems. But Lord, I want to change. I want to receive you into my heart. I know you died. It wasn't just symbolism. I know it wasn't just something Christians kind of made up. I believe you died for me. And I'm asking you to come to my heart and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's that group. And there's the group that says, hey, I'm far from God. I need to come back to you. We're glad you're here. But this church is all about being a place where those that are far from God come back to him. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to come back to God. We don't want anything in the way. We want it wide open for you to come back.
I'm going to pray one more time. And then we're going to go and finish the rest of the service. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the morning. Thank you for sending your son to die. For me, for others, for people that aren't even born yet, for people that have already lived and died, you sent your son for us. Help us to never forget that. Thank you for sending him. We love you. We thank you for that gift. I pray this morning if there were those here that they've never received you, that this morning they would have made that decision as I prayed. I pray that that would be their heart. I pray for those that maybe are far from you, that this morning they would come back, that they would get back to where they need to be. Help them to realize that you'll meet them where they're at. We don't have to clean ourselves up, fix ourselves up. We can just come back to you. We love you, Father. We pray your blessing on the day. In Jesus' name, amen.